Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. Today we have a special guest, Daryl Reynolds, national champion from Villanova. What's going on, Daryl? What's going on with you? How y'all doing? Good. We got Lucas and Chris. What's going on, guys? Not much. How are you guys? Doing good, guys. Glad everybody's here today. So the topics for discussion today is just general Sixers offseason stuff. We had the draft last week, so let's jump into it. So, Daryl, I know you've been out of Villanova for... A few years now. So, what have you just in general been doing since then? I know you've bounced around, played for a few different teams, maybe overseas. Like, just what in general are you doing at this point in time? Uh, after I graduated, I played for the Sixers Summer League team. And, like you said, I went overseas. I played for a year in Poland. Uh, it turned out to be one of the best years of my life. Just, you know, kind of being isolated out there was weird at first, but, you know, you learn a lot about yourself in times like that. And it was just, I mean, quite frankly, the European style was, it was fun. You know, they, they let you be physical over there. I guess the best PG-13 way to say it. But um, got hurt last year. And when I did, uh, went to Coach Wright, was talking to him about several things I was jumping into with the media. And he, out of nowhere, offered me a, a job on the, uh, on staff, which is the director of player development job. And I'm wrapping that up this year. But, you know, this year was a successful year as far as coaching went. Got to see, like, the other side of the, you know, the other side of the game and kind of what goes into a coach's mindset a bit more. And it was great. But um, but now I'm just I'm, I'm in full swing with the media. Awesome. And what, what kind of things are you doing uh, with, with the media? Uh, so I host several podcasts. I have my podcast, Stay Tuned with D-Ray which is a spinoff from the studio show that I did last summer, just interviewing some of my teammates. And, you know, we distributed that over YouTube, but then we figured 
as far as the podcast route goes, it will be easier to just get more in-depth conversations and more of a consistent feel. So I have that one. Uh, I host a podcast with Aton Shander. He's on SB Nation. Um, and it's me and him. That's about the Sixers for the most part. Um, and just other NBA talk, but mostly about the Sixers. And then I have another podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, um, which is circled around the Big Five, you know, which covers Temple, LaSalle, Villanova, Penn, and um, St. Joe's basketball. I hate to blink on St. Joe's last. I promise that wasn't a dig to them. <laughs> but uh, covers their, you know, covers the Big Five basketball. Um, just past and present, you know, we thought it was just an interesting route to kind of talk about, you know, that, uh, that historic alliance. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, I have a question for you, Daryl. So does this this uh, avenue in the media, does this mean that you've kind of uh, put on hold uh, either semi-permanently or permanently any professional basketball uh, aspirations? I know that you went, you, uh, I believe it was an ACL tear last year. So, and I've gone yeah. through that too. So I, I, when I was a senior in high school, so I, I get the rehab of that. That is not an easy rehab. So is there any desire and you to continue pursuing professional basketball in the long term? Yeah, yeah. I mean, very much so. To be honest, the plan this time last year when I got back was for me to play on the Sixer Summer League team again. Um, I, I got back, you know, from Poland and it was in full swing. And if you would have asked me around this time last year what my plans were, I would have told you I'm getting back on the court immediately. Uh, but unfortunately, it wasn't just an ACL tear for me. It was I tore my ACL, LCL. PCL. I I just I found out when I got hurt how many CLs in your leg, but there's four of them. I tore three, um, and I also hooked <laughs> off my hamstring. And uh, when oh, I hooked off my hamstring, it caused some nerve damage, and because of that nerve damage, I have not been able to get back on the court in full swing. I'm back to working out and shooting now and post moves, but I can't cut and run uh, properly just yet, and that's really I'm not gonna say the only reason why I'm still off the court, but a huge part of the reason why I'm not on the court, y'all, still. So I got to feel another year. I should be back on at full swing. But, yeah, no, I definitely plan on playing again. Even if it's not in a, um, you know, highly competitive state, just to get back out there on the floor. I don't care if it's L.A. fitness runs. I just want to get back out there on the floor and play, you know. But stay tuned. Uh, I totally understand that, Daryl. And actually, to follow up on that question, because um, – I understand. I mean, obviously, my my injury was not that as severe. I tore partially torn meniscuses on both sides and ACL tear, but it still took me two years to be even comfortable setting foot on a basketball court. So I understand that. Yeah. Um, I would would a league like, for example, the Big Three. They're they're accepting younger players now. I believe the age for them is uh 27, and I'm not exactly sure exactly how far away you are from that or if you've already reached there but uh i do i think that that could be a possible i think that would be a fun revenue avenue for you i mean you're 25 years old now so you could theoretically get back there either next year or the year after so i mean would that be a fun avenue for you that that would be crazy i'm not gonna lie i would feel so out of my league in that league uh just because of all the legends they had you know in that and I see Nate Robinson's on the team now and Gilbert Arenas and all those guys. So that would be a very interesting way to make my way back. Um, to me, like I said, it, it really doesn't matter the capacity. It's just more so getting back on the floor and kind of filling it out then. Uh, you know, me personally, I feel as though once I get back out there, the way I felt kind of towards 
the time that I wrapped up after that year overseas, after that experience with the summer league, kind of just coming into my own, quite frankly, after college to call a spade a spade. Um, just after I was out of Villanova, just kind of getting back to a lot of the things that, that made me the player I am, you know, and no, no knock to Villanova, but when you're in a, a system like that, um, you know, it's, it's your, um, how do you describe it? You know, you, your everybody's game, um, I'm not going to say takes it, everybody's game becomes a bit altered, you know, for the big picture. And obviously I'm fine with that because of all the winning that we did, but in professional sports, I was able to kind of get back into the individualism of it all. And I was able to kind of figure out my game a bit more. And, you know, as far as confidence goes, when I get back on the floor, I feel as though I can compete with anybody. Once again, it's just, I got to see if my body can hold up to that, you know, but for me, I mean, the victory is not something I'm opposed to. Uh, like I said, LA fitness game. I, I don't care. It's just, I just want to get back out there. So Daryl, speaking of Villanova, take me back to the Chris Jenkins shot 2016 national championship game. Take us back to where you were, how you felt and the feeling of being a national champion. Uh, I just come off the floor. Um, that last shot he had Daniel, Chris, Arch, Josh, and I believe Phil Booth were on the floor for that last shot. Uh, I was leaned over um, the bench. You know how the floor on the Final Four is kind of elevated. So I was leaned yeah, over uh, kind of towards like the middle of it. And it was weird. It was like you, you play with a guy long enough, you start to understand where his shots are going to go in and, and not, you know. And for me, being a post player and kind of, timing things for tip dunks and offensive rebounds. I kind of watch guys like shoot and I want to see like, all right, so I have a better feel for when they're going to make it or miss it. And as that, as that play kind of unwound and I saw Arch pitch it back uh, to Chris, the way he stepped into it and when it went up for some, I'm not going to say for some odd reason and obviously the reasons we played long enough together. I just remember thinking in those like couple seconds, like, oh my God, this is going in, this is going in, this is going in. And then it went in, and when that confetti cannon went off, and that boom hit that gym, like it was one of the loudest noises we had ever heard. But I'm not gonna lie, it took me a second uh, to realize what had just happened. First and foremost, they weren't gonna review the play, which I was happy about. I'm like, all right, we won. You don't have to worry about any, you know, delays or stipulations. But they outright said we were gonna win because the confetti started. I was like, all right, they're not gonna clean all this up and really review it at this point. But secondly, we just won the national title. And I ran out there after tripping slightly when I got up on the stage because I did trip a little bit. I'm so glad the camera didn't catch me. <laughs> I tripped just a smidge, and I ran up and jumped on the dog pile with him. It was it was crazy, and to see it happen for Chris after what he fought through in his career at Nova, and you know, quite frankly, his life, you know, that was that that was huge. That was big time. All the hard work that he put into that for that to be like the you know the summit was that was that was dope. Yeah, so that's probably the, the peak of my Villanova fandom. My dad's an alum. Just growing up being a Villanova fan, that was the craziest experience of my life. And I couldn't even describe what it probably is for you. And I was in, actually, I'm, I live in North Carolina, so I was in a room with 10 oh, of man. my UNC buddies. And, oh, yeah, I was in a room <laughs> with 10 UNC guys. And after that happened, I had my two minutes of freaking out. <laughs> and most of them either were on the ground with their hands over their head, like in a fetal position, or they just walked out and left. So that was, <laughs> it was nice. It was nice for me to kind of put it on their faces. So can't even explain what it was like for you. So I'm shocked you made it out of that room. Cause I was, oh. I was fully, I was fully waiting for that story to end with just, 
Yeah, and then they jumped me. But that was it. You know, we had the chip. Like, I, I did not expect for you to make it out of that room. So thank God. Oh, yeah, the next day at school, wearing my Villanova gear, that was that was when I got the brunt of it, so. Oh, my God. It was all, I mean, it's all worn under the bridge now, though. They made it back to the next year and won. So it's just, we can all be happy. We just got yeah, to celebrate yeah. a little bit earlier. <laughs> Daryl, you mentioned that after your um, Villanova career ended, you played with the Sixers Summer League team. Can you just yeah. describe your general experience um, with the Sixers and maybe some highlight moments from when you were in Philadelphia? Uh, I guess the highlight moment started when I actually I wasn't in Philadelphia. I got the call to get back to Philadelphia. Uh, I had a Sixers uh, summer you know, workout uh, leading up to the draft. and Obviously, I wasn't drafted, but leading up to the draft, I had a workout, and I did great in it. Um, you know, I was told, like, all right, you know, we'll be in touch. We'll figure it out. And after the draft happened and, you know, I felt like they had kind of finalized the, uh, the summer league team, and I wasn't going to make it. I was like, OK, you know, all all, uh, you know, all gears ahead for the uh, for the overseas season. And I started off the summer kind of with a, a vacation to to Dubai. Mason Plumley had a camp out there. I'm friends with him and he invited me out. And I was like, of course, I ain't doing nothing else. I told my agent and he was just like, um, you know, a bird in hand is better than the one in a bush or however he put it. Uh, so go, you know, so I go out to Dubai. I think I landed around like. It might have been like 12 at night, um, you know, once I got there and, you know, we were there the next day we go to the dunes and everything, we do a couple of things. I see them all. It was great. And I got back to my room around 12 or like one in the morning the next night. And my agent has blown my phone up. So at this point, I've only been there 24 hours and he's like blowing my phone up. I'm just like, oh, my God, it better be important. Like, it better be important. And obviously it's my agent, so I knew it was, but it was just like, I was kind of dreading what was about to happen when I got on the phone. Um, and of course, he then tells me, yeah, the Sixers have an open spot and they're going to give it to you, but you got to be here, um, not tomorrow, so not the upcoming day, but that next day. And I scrambled. I was able to get a flight at 8 a.m. So I was only in Dubai for about, what's that? 30, what's that, about 32 hours at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had to fly right back to Philly. I got back in. I, I got myself together. I got a workout and I shot that night. And the next day, I had to drive from Nova right down to uh, South Philly. I parked my car and at the hotel and I started my, my summer league journey with them. And it was great, man. It was great. Like, the whole experience was, was dope as ever just to see, you know, to be in a facility and be on that side and kind of go through the drills and sit and film with them and kind of get a small, very, very, very small taste of that life. But, you know, it was it was definitely a, a blessing. I just I wish I would have known before I made that flight because it, it definitely wasn't cheap going there and it damn sure wasn't cheap getting back. So I guess I have a question for you, Daryl, is um, now that you've gone through the Sixers Summer League experience, what advice would you give to the young players that are about to experience it for the first time? Players like, for example, their rookies, uh, Matisse Thybul and uh, Meryl Shayok, uh, and, mm -hmm. and uh, some of the undrafted players that they've already seen. Um, take everything serious. You know, take everything serious. Uh, at that point, you know, you're, you're on a roster that is going to get cut down dramatically, probably the most dramatic, you know, in, in your life. And you're playing for probably some of the highest stakes that you play for in your life. Uh, so take everything serious, you know, pay attention to every detail. 
listen more importantly than anything listen to the coaches uh and everything that they say and everything that they teach you those seem to be the guys who make it obviously the outright guys who were drafted and things like that they're already there they already put that work in but if you're a guy who's kind of on that cusp or you're at the mercy of getting cut um by the end of that roster just take everything serious you know what i mean pay attention to every single detail you can find every competitive edge you can to kind of put yourself in a better position to make that team because somebody has to make it. You know, you just have to, you have to go on every workout thinking, why not me? So, Daryl, kind of going off a little bit of what Lucas just said, speaking of the rookies that the Sixers drafted, Matisse Thibault and Mariel Shayok. So yeah. what roles do you think, see both of those guys playing with the Sixers team this season? I mean, to be, you know, quite honest, the Sixers are a team that really isn't looking to build through the drafts any uh any more um you know they're they're, they're in a position where they're going to kind of depend on the young guys uh, i'm gonna depend on the older guys a bit more than the young guys excuse me but i think you know those guys can learn a lot you know from their respective positions they have great guys in front of them you know in the um the, the wings and the, the forwards that they uh that you know that the sixers have but i, I think it's just for them, it's be patient, but also be ready because that's kind of, you know, and although the Sixers are dependent on the older guys, we all know as Sixers fans, they need depth. So, like I said, just another time to look in the mirror and say, why not me? But also practice patience. So, Matisse, obviously, he's a wing defender, which the Sixers need and a lot of teams value off the bench. Do you think he's going to see any substantial playing time or any meaningful minutes down the stretch? Obviously, Meryl Shayok will, best case scenario, be on a two-way contract. So Matisse will probably see minutes. Do you think he gets any playing time down the stretch in the season or maybe even go to the playoffs? I could see that. I could totally see Like I said, the Sixers need that. Uh, we're in the era of the 3 and D. You know, it's it's coming to a close. I'm not, I'm not pegging him as just that guy. I don't ever want to say a young player is going to be one guy for sure. But, you know, we're kind of in that era. And he fits that mold a bit better than anything else in this game right now. But... Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I, I could definitely, you know, definitely see him being a great uh, defender. That's the best thing about, you know, the Sixers and kind of like East, you know, the basketball to East in general. If you play defense, that automatically gives you a hand up on several different players. But he could definitely be one of those guys. Like, I'm not saying it's wide open because it's not because the Sixers have a lot of their scheme figured out. But in the same sense, basketball is a, is a fickle game. A lot can change from play to play, you know, from day to day, uh, definitely from season to season. So yeah, I, I definitely think there's a chance for him to get out there and, and you know, and, and really prove himself. Um, maybe even early on, it might not have to be down the stretch. You know, I think if he can do it early on throughout the preseason and in the beginning of the season, that can be um, something that turns into a spot that is a little more permanent later in the year. Yeah, exactly. We don't know if – we'll talk about this a little bit later. We don't know what Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler are going to do. So maybe both of them leave and that small forward and shooting guard slot's wide open and we can see Matisse getting minutes early. But hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully he sees limited minutes, which just shows that there's a lot of depth and star power out there. But we'll see. Yeah, man. We're going to see. Definitely going to see. I hope both of them don't leave. But like I said, sports is a fickle thing, especially basketball. Exactly. Yeah, and to piggyback off of what Jack just said, and we're going to um, talk about Zaire again here in a second, but just long-term, um, who do you see having a bigger role on this Sixers team, Matisse Thibault or Zaire Smith? Uh, it's hard to say. 
just because of the injury, obviously, that uh, the Smith suffered. Uh, I, I, I got to be honest, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I hate to, to play the neutral kind of Swedish middle ground, but uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to say because it's just it's so many. Or I'll put it to you like this. If Jimmy Butler leaves, but no, if Tobias leaves, Zaire Smith. I see Zaire Smith just because he knows the system a bit more. Um, it's kind of funny. He fits that mode of kind of the Sixers. Uh, <laughs> the Sixers, uh, I don't want to call it red shirt, but red shirt um, kind of feel. I'm just kind of sitting back and seeing things. But, yeah, if, if Tobias leaves, Zaire Smith. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. Uh, a, I think that's a nice way to put, put it there. Red shirt. I think that's a nice way of putting it there. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's as close as I want to get to that topic. <laughs> yeah, Zaire is kind of a blank slate at this point. We don't really know where he's at, so I, I do think that's a really fair assessment. And, and speaking of the Zaire, um, speaking of Zaire, how do you feel just in general about the Mikael Bridges trade from last season? Do you think it benefits the Sixers long-term, or do you think maybe Philadelphia made a mistake after how McHale performed in Phoenix this past year? Uh, I don't want to ever say that Philadelphia made a mistake. I think if you change, it's like the butterfly effect. You change anything, you change everything. Um, and there's no there's no guarantee that if McHale would have stayed in Philly, um, that his career would have been you know off to the start that it was. But I will say that I think McHale won in that trade. Uh, to be quite honest, if Mikel would have stayed, he would have been behind Robert Covington, which is obviously a great mentor. He would have learned a lot from him. He would have had a lot to, to uh, you know, to catch up on and kind of figure out with a guy, quite frankly, just so close to his body type. It's kind of weird. Like, not only do they play the same position, and I think Mikel has a, a, a better, a higher ceiling than him, but just somebody who kind of plays that same position, like I said, the three and D, a defensive guy who really you can really count on on the wing. Um, but I think when Mikel went to Phoenix, what happened was it, it became, you know, open range. He, he was in a situation where he didn't necessarily have to show out. He just had to show up, you know, with the Suns being uh, what they were in these past couple of years, but especially this last year. And because of that and because of that ability to get out there and play, he, uh, he grew a lot faster. He had to grow up very fast, but sometimes that's what it takes for a guy to get out um, to a start that he did. You know, I, I believe that he was the second, would he have the second most steals behind any rookie next to Kawhi Leonard? Like, that wouldn't have happened on the Sixers. You know, I, I firmly believe that because he would have been up behind, like I said, a Robert Covington. His minutes would have been a little more limited. You know, he wouldn't have been out there as much. But with him going out to Phoenix and having to grow up so fast and play so many minutes so early in his career it made him grow up a lot faster than the Sixers could offer. And then, you know, another underrated storyline is Lord knows when that Timberwolves trade would have happened, he definitely would have been packaged up in that. You know what I mean? So you're looking at a completely different uh, you look at an almost alternate universe as far as Mikel Bridges go if he would have stayed in the Sixers uniform. So I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't want to say they made a mistake, but I definitely think Mikel won in that sense. Yeah, and you bring up an interesting point about the trades. Zaire's probably only on the team still because he got hurt and because he wasn't able to show his value on the court. I think if Zaire goes out and he plays moderately well, there's a good chance a team like L.A. or Minnesota wants him in the trade. So I do think that's a really interesting point you bring up. And, uh, yeah, 
like I said earlier, I do think Zaire is kind of a blank slate. We don't really know what we're going to get from him yet. And that's part of why I'm really excited for this summer, just to see where he's at in terms of being back in basketball shape. He showed some really promising flashes on defense toward the end of last season. So just in general, yeah. I think it's a really, really interesting point that you brought up, though. Yeah. I mean, I mean, listen, the kid's good. It's not, I don't think anybody can knock that from him. To me, in my personal opinion, anybody that makes it to the NBA is good. I'm sorry. I don't believe in the whole, oh, this guy sucks, this guy sucks. That's relative. You know, because guys are showing time and time again that they go and play with average people, that they're still elite. It's just they might not be the elite of the elite. Uh, so obviously the kid's good, but it's just, you know, the Sixers are in a weird uh, kind of mold. And it might not necessarily even be his skill set. It might just be they don't need him as much as, you know, another team does. And then like the Lakers, like you said, like somebody else who could use him a bit more. He might not even get a chance to get out there and really show it because of how everything shook out. But, um, you know, he's definitely good. It's just the question mark is, is he going to get a chance to get out there and show it? And is he going to be healthy enough, too? So, Daryl, the golden question of the Philadelphia 76ers offseason, do you believe they retain their key free agents, i.e. Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, and J.J. Redick? I think somebody's going to have to go. Um, by the end of that season, I think the the, the – collective of Tobias, Jimmy, Ben Simmons, Joe B, J.J. Redick, that entire squad, I think, only got a chance to play, I want to say, north of 30 games together. Um, so, obviously, you know, someone can argue that, yeah, you know, they're going to need more time to, to adjust and, and, and jail, and, you know, they'll kind of figure things out next season. I don't doubt that. But I don't see a world where all three of them stay. And if anybody, I think if anybody leaves, it'll be a Tobias Harris. Um, I, th- I think Tobias Harris, in many ways, doesn't he doesn't need like the spotlight. He's not looking for a team to make him like the guy. But let's be honest, somebody out there is going to give him more money than the Sixers can, um, just off the, the strength that they have so much more free range. An interesting storyline I keep hearing unfold is there's a chance that he can go back to the Clippers with all the money they have, which would be crazy if that happens. Uh, we pretty much just rented a guy for the end of the season if that does happen. Like, I don't see it happening, but it is a possibility in so many ways. But, no, I, I don't see all three of them staying. I, I can see – I see Jimmy Butler staying just because he seems to fit so much of what Philly's uh, mold is and what Philly wants in a player. He just seems to really uh, naturally fit in with the, the culture of Philadelphia sports. I see J.J. Reddick staying, but I also think they need more of a defensive uh, player at his position, and that's no knock to him. But, I mean, let's be honest, you know, it, it would help if we had a guy who, at that position, we didn't have to necessarily hide or could give you just a little more defense or something else to offer besides shooting. Um, but, no, I do not see all three of them staying. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And going into the nerdy cap numbers of it, so the Caesars have four guaranteed guys right now, not including Matisse Thibel. So once they, let's say in, for example, Jimmy and Tobias both resign, their max deal was 30% of the cap. So that'll be 32.7 million for each of them this year. So that's $106 million for six players, not including JJ. And that's if they renounce everybody else that they have player options to. The luxury tax is at 132. So that means they would have to fill nine roster spots with $26 million. So both of them stay. The money's definitely going to be over the luxury tax. And like you said about Tobias, he's given up more than anybody else. If Tobias leaves, it's not because he's sacrificing um, 
he's going to get more money with Philly. He's got a higher chance of winning. He's just he's the biggest step to leave because he's probably the odd man out, like you said. They run a lot of DHOs with J.J. Redick, and Jimmy Butler gets a lot of those pick and roll and ISOs. So Tobias is the odd man out. And if I don't think, like you said, I don't think Jimmy leaves. So we'll see what Tobias does. That's the golden question. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I think he's the biggest <laughs> question mark. And I mean, to be quite honest, um, I feel like out of those three, Jimmy Butler is the most important. Uh, let's just let's call the spade a spade. Between his experience, like I said, what he brings to the team, that edge, we kind of saw it. Ain't no kind of. We saw it in that Toronto series down the stretch and so many times where he was kind of the savior uh, for those games. I think Jimmy Butler, as good as Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons is, I think as of right now, the guy who we want to have at the end of the ball, uh, end of the game um, with the ball is Jimmy Butler. So I think he's definitely the most important piece. J.J. Redick, because he's so ingrained to what we do and he fits the scheme so much with Ben Simmons being a non-shooter and kind of having a guy who is like a dead-eye shooter out there. J.J. Redick obviously fits into that uh, that narrative as well. Um, and Tobias Harris, like you said, is the eye guy out. And that's not a knock. He, he's, he's, he's good on both ends of the floor, but it's just he's kind of a dispensable piece. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. I don't see all three of them staying. I don't think it'll be smart for the Sixers to try to keep all three of them because with what we saw this year is you could have a very top-heavy team, but a top-heavy team isn't going to win a championship unless you have just, like, overwhelming talent and experience. And the Sixers, do, they do have overwhelming talent in their big three, which is Jimmy Butler, Joel B, and Ben Simmons. But there isn't exactly uh, overwhelming experience, you know, and to win championships, which they do have a chance to at this point. You kind of need two or three guys or maybe, you know, four guys with experience. They might not be superstars, but they can kind of, you know, help pick up the slack where John B and Ben Simmons don't necessarily know that time of year, you know, which is the playoffs as much as they uh, as much as they need to to win a championship. Yeah, I definitely agree. Just with the Sixers' problem this year was depth on the bench, and if you re-sign Tobias and Jimmy, that just leaves less money on the bench. And also, like you were saying, you, the experience of Jimmy Butler is key, and Jimmy Butler is a grown man, and the Sixers need one because Joel and Ben are up-and-coming stars, and Beats already a superstar, but you still need to grow a man out there, and Jimmy's that guy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, Derek, so I'm not going to lie, you kind of already answered my question for you, which was going to be who's a bigger priority. Uh, well, I mean, actually, no, I guess you did. Uh, Jimmy and Tobias, and I guess we can include JJ on that. Um, who would be the biggest uh, free agent priority for the Sixers, either among their own free agents or free agents out in the market. I got to keep it at home with Jimmy Butler. Uh, like I said, it's just it's something it's something to be said about the culture of a team, and any team that wins, uh, you know, just a theme seems to be culture, uh, and guys who fit into it. You know, you look at the Warriors. Everybody looks at the Warriors and thinks, oh my God, they have a bunch of shooters, or they have a bunch of offensive juggernauts. When in reality, the theme of the Warriors team is unselfishness and guys who play on both ends of the floor. Even Steph Curry, although he might not be the best on-ball defender, the things that he does to kind of disrupt defenses and the things that he does on the offensive end of the floor where he's not shooting, setting screens for teammates, you know, uh, kind of just disrupting guys by coming off of screens and setting false actions on the weak side of the ball in so many ways fits into their culture. And then you add a Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, 
uh, guys like that around, uh, Kevin Looney, uh, David West when he was there. You add those guys who fit into that culture, and that's why they were such a juggernaut of a team. You look at the Spurs team that beat the Heat uh, a few years back when Kawhi Leonard, you know, winning the, the, the MVP uh, of the finals. You had a bunch of guys who fit into the culture, and because of that, they were on the same page. And that, along with their talent and their experience, is what took them to the furthest. So a Jimmy Butler for a 76ers team, uh, you know, the 76ers team in Philly, quite frankly, just respect them more than anything, that dog mentality, a guy who's going to go out there and be passionate and fight for you in so many ways, and a guy who's going to go out there and just not give up. And quite frankly, just fit that kind of like AI slash Rocky, just he gets knocked down and he gets up that much faster type of mindset. Nobody embodies that better on this team than Jimmy Butler. Like, we have found a gem in Jimmy Butler in so many ways. Like, it's crazy. I'm not going to say how we lucked up because obviously his story is long as ever how he ended up at this point in his career. But, no, I think Jimmy Butler by far, more than anybody in this league, um, is the most important, you know. So, so to follow up that question, outside of Jimmy Butler, and we'll include Tobias Harris and uh, JJ on this, who, what player do you see either on the Sixers or in the NBA that could really help ingrain that type of culture that you just spoke about that could help Jimmy ingrain and uh, the rest of the Sixers ingrain that type of culture that they're developing there in Philly? I mean, there's two guys, and it kind of sucks because both of them are, are on contract. The first two guys that come to mind when I think about what the Sixers need are Kyle Lowry, and I know that I know y'all kind of thought that was coming. Kyle and Eric Bledsoe, and I say that for two reasons. Like I said, at JJ Reddick's position, uh, position, it would be great just to have a guy who's a little more disruptive on defense, uh, but also a guy who can knock down a, a three ball. And I feel like that tough, scrappy kind of. Uh, combo guard, but mostly a point guard combination in Eric Bledsoe and Kyle Lahr. I feel like guys like that are truly what the Sixers are missing. You know, when you have Ben Simmons on the floor um, with a lineup that you might want to shift him to the four, kind of get him in that mid-post area, kind of have him work down there, or kind of just let him push the ball and transition. Uh, When you have a guy who you need to push the, the point a bit more and kind of have him off the ball, and not bringing the ball up and setting things up, I feel like those guys would be the perfect combination. You also will bring in guys with that type of experience. Like I said, this time of year, well, this time of year is over. I keep thinking we're in the damn playoffs. But, you know, around this time of year, I guess the best way to put it, in the playoffs, you know, you need guys with that experience who understand what it takes to win it this time. Uh, but unfortunately, Eric Bledsoe, we saw just this year, you know, he has declared his love for Milwaukee and finding a new home, so he's staying. And Kyle obviously has more time on his contract, so both of those guys are, are kind of, you know, out of the way. Uh, but no, I think that's what the Sixers need. It's funny, going up, leading up to the draft, they said one of the guys who was the most interesting in the class was Carson Edwards. And obviously, I was on the bench <laughs> for, uh, you know, what Carson Edwards did to my Nova guys. But that was, I saw that same type of thing. You know, a combo guard who leans more towards the point guard, um, you know, the new point guard mode in the sense of a guy who can score, but also you can trust him to bring the ball up, be disruptive on defense, and it's just scrappy and tough. I feel like that's what the Sixers truly need to bring all this together because obviously they're not lacking anything in the post. Uh, ben Simmons is great in transition and on the defensive end of the floor. Um, but having a guy who can shoot that three ball 
be disruptive on defense and bring the ball up when you need to shift Ben Simmons off the point is to me like that is the the archetype of what we need. So Daryl, do you think a guy like Patrick Beverly can kind of fill uh, that role? Obviously, he's not the isolation scorer that Lowry or Bledsoe is, but he's a guy that can shoot the three off spot up or off the dribble, and then he's off, obviously a tenacious defender. Oh my God! If we had Patrick Beverly and Jimmy Butler on the same team, uh, I think we would number one get a, a repeat of what happened uh, with the Pacers in the early 2000s. I'm gonna just leave it at that. Uh, but no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I feel as though that would be a dream come true for Philly fans. Like I said, there's something to be said about a player that fits the culture of uh, number one, their team, and number two, their city, because it just it brings about an energy that's unstoppable for the rest of the league. You know. I just wanted to circle back to your points on Jimmy and the culture. It's kind of interesting just this shift in narrative that we've had from the beginning of Jimmy's tenure in Philly to the end. You know, when he came in, he was kind of considered a cancer. He had kind of ruined the locker room in Minnesota. He had that, you know, film session with Brett Brown early on in Portland where there were, you know, the reports of him yelling at Brett and it being kind of confrontational. There were worries about that, you know, how he would hurt the culture. And then by the end, we end up with, like you said, Jimmy's really kind of cemented himself as an important part of this Philly team. Um, Just what are your thoughts on that kind of shift in narrative? I think first and foremost, people have to understand that sports is not a, it's not a kumbaya type of thing. You know, people aren't just going to hold hands and holding hands and being the best of friends don't equal winning. You know, I think so many times the narrative of sports is the story that's told is that, oh, my God, these guys are BFFs and everything is great, and they understand each other on every forefront, and they make it happen. That's rarely ever the case when you get to find out what really happened. I mean, how many sports teams have we found out were championship teams, and through a 30-for-30 or years down the line, we find out that things were a lot more combusted than we thought they were when they actually happened. Uh, So I think that narrative is kind of what skewed the narrative on Jimmy Butler early and the Sixers because – it's rarely ever that uh, that easy. You know, it's going to be some fights. You're dealing with a bunch of highly competitive people, and everybody feels as though they're right. It's just which team can really get on the same page in time uh, for them to win. Uh, with that said, I feel like the Jimmy Butler narrative is also skewed. I feel like what happened with him in Minnesota had to happen. I feel like that was him just being competitive and tired of seeing what was going on down there and going on down there. For anybody who follows Minnesota basketball, uh, they can see that they weren't exactly um, in a position to compete for anything. And if you're a competitor and you're living in that day in and day out, that will drive you up a wall. So I feel like Jimmy Butler, you know, being seen as a cancer in so many ways stem from that. As far as him and the Brett Brown thing, I could see it's, it's just his, you know, and I hate to keep calling it passion because, yes, you do have to have emotional intelligence about you. And it's a shame when that spills over, but... I feel like it's just him feeling like, listen, we need to do X, Y, and Z. And as a player, you have to be respectful, but you also have to have a sense of urgency about you, about understanding that you're out there on the floor and this might be the best direction. Like I said, sports is not something where everybody holds hands and, you know, everything just goes smoothly, but it's more so about, all right, we have differences, we have differences in opinion, uh, but how can we make this work? You know, how can we mesh all of this together? And then once we get out there on the floor, it's seen as, okay, we're all on the same page. You know, like the Warriors, people love to talk about the Warriors, um, 
you know, locker room kind of spilling over with emotion when things are going bad with them. But I'm pretty sure in some of their best times, it was the same thing. Like, I'm, I guarantee you in 10 years is going to come out that, you know, in their documentary that everybody rolls their eyes when Draymond's name gets brought up. And the fact that it's like, oh, my God, he was a head case. But there's no doubt when they get out, out there on the floor, they understand that, yeah, he's a head case. He might be crazy, but there is no doubt that he has all of our backs. And at the end of the day, we much rather have this guy on our team versus being against him. Yeah, I definitely think accountability, like you're talking about with locker rooms, is huge. And Jimmy Butler obviously holds all his teammates accountable. Same thing with Draymond Green. So a guy and a leader like Jimmy Butler on the Sixers team is going to be very huge coming down the stretch and for the years to come. So going into more free agent stuff. So how do you think Kawhi Leonard winning the NBA Finals affects free agency? We he got traded last year, and a lot of people thought, all right, this is Toronto's one year to win a championship. And Kawhi did what the Raptors asked for him to do. He came in, played a year, injury-free, won them a championship. And a lot of people think that he could walk now, and if he walks, no one could blame him. I mean, this Raptors team, people compared him to the 2011 Mavericks at times where they kind of had a one-year slot to win. Obviously, Kyle Lowry, Marcus Saul are getting older. Van Fleet and Norm Powell rose the occasion at the right time. So Kawhi could see going to the Clippers or another team as the best chance for him to win long term. Do you think Kawhi Leonard winning the finals increases his chance of leaving and or staying? Or just what's your point of view on that? Uh, To be quite honest, I was one of those people saying there was no way in hell that he would leave uh, this Raptors team. But the more I think about it, the more it would make sense if he did. Because like you said, he did it all. Like he like this man just became the greatest Raptor in a year. Like that's wild to think about. But he really did it. You know, he went there, like you said, he had a great season. Uh, you know, he had to take some rest somewhere in there, but it's like, no, he just had a great season. He, you know, completely broke just all the it's just it's ridiculous how good he was in one year and he helped bring them a championship. I don't want to say bring because no one guy does that, but he helped bring them a championship, uh, which is huge. So for him to walk at this point, no, no one can. I don't think even the Raptors. I mean, let's be honest, they're Canadians. They're not even rude about it. I don't think that, you know, the Raptors could be mad at him. It's just like, hey, man, he came in here and did his thing and left. He made like the Lone Ranger or whatever. Um, so, no, if, if Kawhi was to leave, you know, I don't think anybody could blame him. I think it really does put everybody on edge with the free agency thing. And I could completely see him in uh, a Clippers uniform just because we've seen how time and time again he doesn't care. Like, listen, the man wears new balance. Like, he's shown, like, <laughs> listen, I do not care about the general narrative. I don't care about fitting into what the mold of you guys, you know, that you want to, to the story that you guys want to tell. When I say you guys, I mean the general media. Uh, in being in a L.A. Lakers uniform or a New York Knicks uniform or, you know, kind of being on a flashier franchise. This guy has gone from, obviously he was drafted there, but the Spurs to Toronto, two franchises that aren't necessarily, you know, stable franchises when you think of the sexiest destinations in America, but two places that are great. So, no, he's shown that he doesn't care uh, for that. He wants to win. And um, I could see him teaming up with somebody in, in L.A. and doing that, but I don't know. I don't know. He's such a question mark, man. He he is such a question mark. I don't think anybody, until he wants you to know, is ever going to know what he wants to do. But, yeah, him, him winning uh, all this year really does kind of change the, the landscape of uh, free agency. 
yeah, I definitely agree. Kawhi is definitely the most interesting and unknown guy in the NBA and kind of going off how Kawhi affects free agency. So Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson both getting hurt during the finals, ACL tear for Clay, and then uh, a ruptured Achilles for Kevin Durant. So yeah. how do you think that affects free agency this summer and maybe that being the end of the super team era with three perennial all-stars on each team? Uh, okay, first of all, I don't see Clay leaving. I don't see why Clay would leave. You know, obviously, towards the end of the year, talk kind of revved up about him being unhappy and things like that. We all saw the interview where they had said, like, I don't understand why anybody would leave this. And him and Kevin Durant kind of just sat there, like, with this blank state face, like, if y'all only knew. But no, I don't see Clay leaving just because he just seems like one of those guys, is, you know, he's going to stay in one uniform his whole career. And why would he leave? You know, I don't think he's going to find as good of a situation as he can, uh, as he's found in the Warriors. As far as Kevin Durant leaving, I could definitely see him going, um, even with the injury, just because, you know, I feel like it's time for him to do it. And in many ways, he kind of did what Kawhi did. Like, I don't care about the narrative. I'm going to go there. I'm going to win championships. But at the end of the day, I'm sorry. In sports, especially basketball, it's, it's about that championship. You know, when they talk about the GOATs, they talk. They bring up championships, and nobody remembers. I'm not gonna say nobody, but seldomly is it mentioned that you know this guy teamed up with that guy. Let's like like people talk about the super team like it's some new concept, and they forget that Magic was on the team with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, James Worth. Like the super team thing is not new, you know. And the whole idea of a bunch of guys joining forces to win a championship outright isn't something that's necessarily new. It's just something that's being reintroduced. But like that era, no one talks about, oh, my God, they had overwhelming talent. They talk about the fact they won a championship. Uh, so I feel like Kevin Durant has done that. He's done what he did, uh, what he set out to do in, um, in a Warriors uniform. But I definitely see him leaving uh, for a Nets or even, even New York. You know, I mean, maybe he has something figured out that no one else does, you know, up in that square garden. Because obviously it has not worked out time and time and time and time again. But, you know, it takes somebody to kind of turn that narrative <laughs> around and somebody with courage and talent. And I could see him doing that too. I think that would be the dopest, uh, you know, thing of his career. Like, I think if he could do that, if he could go to New York, turn that franchise around, bring in some other guys who could really help him win and kind of just change the narrative on New York basketball, which is right now it effing sucks and has pretty much since they brought in Carmelo because Lord knows when Amari Stoudemire and as wild as it sounds, Raymond Felton, when they were doing their thing, it was like, oh my God, we're back in the 90s. New York basketball is back. And then they brought in Carmelo and things kind of went astray. But uh, no, I could definitely see uh, KD doing that. So, so building off that, let's say KD leaves Golden State and it's for one of the New York teams. We've heard the rumors of Brooklyn kind of picking up steam lately. Kyrie is apparently very likely to go to Brooklyn. If KD yeah. does leave Golden State, do you, do you think it's for the Nets or the Knicks? Um, as of right now, I say for the Knicks, just because something about KD and Kyrie on the same team does not sound right. I don't know why, but I just... I don't know. I don't know. Kyrie is another question mark in the NBA, like in everything that's in every in everything that's kind of shaken out. You know, with the Celtics this year, it's he's turned into another one of those guys. It's just like I don't know. Like in the beginning of this year, he was saying, you know, if you guys are having me back, I'll be 
happy to be back. I'm not putting that on him. I mean, maybe it's something going on deeper in the Celtics, uh, you know, organization that makes him feel that way. But no, he's turned into another question mark. And I just something about the dynamic of him and Kevin Durant just doesn't it just doesn't seem right. You know, it's, it's like if someone was like, hey, what if J.R. Smith and Swaggy P are going to join forces? It's like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. And I'm obviously we're talking about two very different players. We're talking about Hall of Fame caliber versus, you know, the fun guys. But no, 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 I, I don't. It just doesn't seem like it will work with them two on the same team. But, hey, if it does and they're doing it in a Nets uniform, I think that'll kind of help usher in the new era of basketball. It'll be interesting to see an organization as young as the Nets get two guys like that who will definitely win the East um, or at least come down to the Eastern Conference Finals with the Bucks. Uh, that's if Kawhi doesn't stay, obviously. Um, you know, it'll be it'll be very interesting, kind of like as everything is shifting in the NBA and we're kind of like in this new era. That would definitely be one of the uh, the more told storylines, you know, of everything kind of shifting. So let's say let's say maybe next season hypothetically KD does leave for New York, Kyrie goes to Brooklyn, Kawhi does whatever he does, and the Sixers are able to keep everyone. You know, Jimmy, Tobias, and JJ all resign. Um, would you consider them maybe the only super team at that point? And how much pressure do you think would be on them to win a championship next season if the door is swung wide open like that? I think a ton of pressure is on them because at that point you've brought all those guys back. You've paid all that money. Like you said, you've gone over the luxury tax. No, I think for them it's like it's now do or die. The problem is do you have the bench to make that happen? No team has ever won with unless you have an overwhelming amount of talent in that top five or top six. No team has ever won with that. You know, you need a solid seven, um, hopefully eight guys to win a championship. Because, I mean, between injuries, look at the Warriors this year. Between injuries, uh, quite frankly, guys just not being used to playing those amount of minutes and being in that spotlight, you need a solid, I would say, eight guys to count on. Seven and a half, eight guys to count on um, to win a championship. So, yes, all the pressure will be on them. It's just, do you have the money to go and get another three guys, you know, who can make that happen? So, speaking of hypotheticals, so let's say KD does leave the Warriors if you're the Sixers, do you sign him to a, a max deal? Obviously, he wouldn't be able to play this year. Um, very, very hypothetical and completely out of the picture. But since we're talking about the Sixers, um, we can get um, creative with it. Do you think – would you sign Katie to a max? And obviously, if you sign Katie to a max, you would not be able to sign Jimmy or Tobias because yeah. with 10 years of experience, he gets $38 million that first year compared to 32.7 that Jimmy and Tobias would get. So you'd have $20 million left over, which would mean you'd have more cap space to get bench guys. So would you do that and wait to roll the dice on the 2020 season, or would you just try to run it back with the squad that you already have? I think as the Sixers, obviously, uh, yes, you signed a Kevin Durant and hope that he can return Um to full strength in, in, in his full form. Uh, it's crazy. We sound like Nick fans right now. These are like the type of oh, yeah. they come up with. <laughs> but <laughs> we're going to get Zion and Jordan's going to coach yeah. and Larry Bird's going to be the GM and then we're going to get yeah. LeBron. Like, but, uh, <laughs> but no, no. Uh, definitely. You definitely go after Kevin Durant. Um, but I, like you said, and, and it being so hypothetical, I know. I do not see that happening. I see... Um, 
I see the, the no, no. I see the Sixers keeping this squad together. That would be crazy. I never even thought about that. That that would be amazing. That that would I would. Oh my gosh, been at the point. Him him on the wing and Joel inside. That would just be no to me. It's like all right, just take my bets now. Yeah, he'd be the perfect like third piece with Ben and Joel just because he stretches the floor, isolation score off the wing, and the Sixers haven't had a perimeter isolation score that can score from three or mid range off the dribble. Yeah. With the efficiency that Kevin Durant does since, I'd say, Lou Williams. So, that'd be huge. Obviously, it's not going to happen. Probably have a higher chance of winning the lottery. But if it did, it'd be very interesting. That'd be crazy. I actually might play those numbers. 10, 38, 22. <laughs> 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 right. we'll, we'll go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, so, just to wrap everything up, based on everything we've talked about on this episode, what are your predictions for the Sixers next season? Who do you think, you know, finally re-signs? How do you see them doing next year? How do you see maybe the league kind of playing out around them? Like, what are you, just your final predictions for Philadelphia next season? Um, quite frankly, I don't see it coming down to rather Kawhi stays or not. Uh, I don't just because you know, let's let's be honest, the Raptors will be a, a year uh, older, and it did come down to a game seven on a double doink. Um, so, no, I can see the Sixers at least winning the Eastern, I mean, making it to the Eastern Conference Finals and seeing the Bucks because I do see them making it back there, guaranteed, just because of barring an injury uh, or a lot of drama in their locker room, I cannot see those guys not making it back to the Eastern Conference Finals just because they're bringing back all their pieces, which is, is quite frankly the scariest thing in the East right now. Because Giannis is only about to turn 25, like which is crazy to think about, um, and he's only getting better. But no, I see the Sixers uh, letting Tobias walk, um, just quite frankly, because like I said, you need it would just be more intelligent to to use that money to go and round out your roster instead of being so top heavy. Because like we saw with the Warriors this year, that can be great, but if you get to that finish line and you know y'all trip up on an injury or something like that. Now you're putting in guys who, quite frankly, were coasting for the rest of the year, which isn't smart, which is almost it's just ridiculous because now you're at the end and you have to deal with that bitter defeat. And like, yo, we were right there, you know. So, no, I think it will be smart for the Sixers to go out, spend that money they would have used on him. Uh, let somebody, you know, let him get his money, go somewhere else, uh, spend that money they would have used on him or rounding out that roster. Maybe you could go, you know, um, eight, nine deep. You know, as far as guys that you can count on who are not going to cost you a ton, but you know what you're going to get out of it. You know, I think that's another thing that's underrated. Like, you know, you have guys who are talented, but it's one thing to know. You know, you know, like, a date, like I said, the Warriors with a David West, uh, Zaza Pachulia, as crazy as it sounds to mention him, Iguodala. Those guys at that point in their career, you knew what you were getting. You knew almost down to the numbers what they were going to average that season. Um, you know, barring an injury or something like that being the only things that kind of stop them. So you go out, you get a couple of guys like that, you know, you build them around that young talent that you have in Joel and um, and uh, Ben Simmons, and then you let Jimmy Butler lead y'all. And, and with that, I see them making it out of the East and obviously going up against, at this point, it's looking like a Lakers team because Lord knows what's going to happen with the Rockets in a couple of days. Um, but yeah, you, you let them go up against that and I see a chip. <laughs> I see, if they come down to that, I see a chip. Man, I mean, I could definitely see that with the league being as wide open as it's been and 
God knows how long. So, yeah. I mean, like you said, if we run it back, I mean, I think Sixers have bigger chance than anybody else. I mean, if that, that squad gets KD and Kyrie, obviously KD can't play next year. So, I'd obviously go with the Sixers before that. Um, Warriors don't have Klay Thompson. And then let's say Kawhi teams up with maybe Al Horford could go there because Al Horford's out of the Celtics or maybe – We'll see. That Lakers team with LeBron and uh, AD right now is interesting, but I still think a full Sixers squad will yeah. take over that Lakers team. So I'm, I definitely could see a title next year. It'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah no, I, I feel like if they make it that far, it's over. And let's not, like, people, I mean, obviously, yes, everybody's saying they need to get some other pieces. People are forgetting that third part of that Lakers team, which is Kyle Kuzma. Like, that is, that is a scary three. You know what I mean? Like, in that trade, mm-hmm. everybody – Everybody completely forgot that in that bundle of young players, you know, Kyle Kuzma did not get sent to New Orleans. You know what I mean? Like, that is – that's scary. Like, that's – that's scary. Definitely. Appreciate you guys listening. Daryl, appreciate you taking the time joining us today to talk some Sixers offseason stuff. I think it went well. My man, my man. Thank you all yeah. for having me on, man. Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming, man. For sure. I'll definitely talk to y'all soon. Thank you. Like I said, thank you for having me. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.